you don't need prayer. We always do, but we're very aware of it, aren't we? When, when things uh, get feeling a little bit desperate, we, we suddenly become very aware of the fact that uh, we need someone else to step in here and help us. And that's exactly the kind of scenario we have been watching and looking at with Nehemiah as he has been up against, uh, you know, here's this situation. He gets bad news about his, his, uh, his people, the, the Jews, down in Jerusalem. He's 800 miles away in, in the empire, in the capital of Persia, working for the king, a very important place. Uh, the, the potential of him getting away to go down and help his people who are in desperate straits is uh, nil. Uh, he just, in, at least from a human perspective, uh, he, he, he is... His king relies on him. He's risen up into a place where the king relies on him for his protection, uh, uh, making sure he stays safe. The king relies on him for, for good counsel. He is his, probably his very closest friend. The king relies on him to deliver messages at times when a message needs delivered that he needs to make sure gets delivered correctly. The, Nehemiah has become that person for, for the king, and so he's just in a situation. And on top of that, Persian law, we've talked about it, uh, Persian law said that you could not just go and talk to the king. You had to be invited to talk to the king. Uh, you could, even, even with uh, Nehemiah's close relationship with the king, it was against the laws of the land for him just to walk up and say, hey, I need to talk to you about something. He had to wait for the king to invite him to have a conversation. And even in those conversations, you couldn't bring up the subject. The king had to, he, he chose the subject you would talk about. And so, so, so here Nehemiah is, he's worried about the, his people and what he's heard about them and their desperate situation, not having any clue, even if he, if he was there, what he would do about it. So such a disaster down there. The, everything has been destroyed in the city. The walls are in rubble on the ground. The gates have been burned to the ground. They're surrounded by enemies and and they just are in a terrible situation. And then he's up here hundreds of miles away and in a situation where just waiting and waiting and praying. And that's what we saw. He, he knew he was in that situation where he thought, all I can do now is talk to God. God, somehow give me an opportunity to talk to the king. Somehow help me to know what I can do to help my people so far away. And, and somehow, Lord, this is bigger than me. You need to help me with this scenario. And so he prayed. For four months, he prayed. And, you know, there would be those times when he'd be called into the king and think maybe, okay, this is the day God answers the prayer. Today will be the day I'll get to talk to him about my heart and my concern for my people. And, and then he would be with the king and the subject never came up. The opportunity never came up. And just, you know, leaving that day and wondering, what's going on, God? Why, why are you waiting four months? And, and actually, we talked about last week, you know, some of you would say four months is nothing. I've been praying for my child and their addiction problem for a decade. I've been praying for my spouse to come to the Lord for 20 years. I've been, and even that's, and, but still, four months is a long time. And then the day comes and, and he gets called to the king's presence. And he said, as we saw last week uh, in chapter 2, he said, I w- I'd never been sad in the king's presence. You, for one reason, it was to risk your life to do that. The, you were required to be happy when you were around the king. He did not want anybody bringing him down. And uh, so he'd never been sad. But that t- day, for whatever reason, God allowed the king to see into the heart of Nehemiah. And he looked at Nehemiah and he says, what's going on? I think you have a sad heart. And that opened the door for Nehemiah to share about his people and the struggles they were going through. And, 
And, and the king did what he thought would ne- he would never do. He said, well, why? You need to go there and be with your people. Not only that, I- I'm going to send you down there how much time you need. And they talked about how much time he would need. And he said, I'm going to send you down there, and I'm going to send you letters that will allow you to safely travel there because it was a dangerous trip down, a lot of enemies, especially enemies of the Jews. And then when you get down there, I'm going to give you permission to, to use my force down there to gather the lumber you need and... and uh, I'll give you everything you need, and then on top of that, because he knew, Nehemiah hadn't requested this, but he knew the danger. He said, I'm going to send you soldiers to protect you. God did what he never imagined could happen. You know, as he, as he thought back that beginning of that four-month period, just what seemed to be impossible suddenly came together. But even still, once he got there, what's he going to do, you know? Where do you get the labor? Where do you? And he had no, he had never, I don't think he'd ever been there probably in his entire life. Uh, so, you know, he didn't even know exactly what he was up against, but at least God had done that much. And here's a remarkable thing in the passage we're going to look at today, and is uh, you, could, you could pull the kind of things we're going to talk about and see today right out of, of today's headlines. You'll, you'll see, uh, it's just, it fits right in with what we see happen, what we've seen this week in the news in many respects. And, and so, so Nehemiah gets together, and, and, you know, here's the thing, though. Even when God is in the middle of something, and some of you know this, we talked about this last week, you know, knowing God's direction, knowing His will, sensing that, it, that here's what you're supposed to do, doesn't mean things are going to be easy. As soon as word got out that, that Nehemiah was coming down to Jerusalem, that this group was coming from Persia down to help this city out, Here's some individuals that we're going to hear their names on a regular basis. When Sambalit, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, they were very much disturbed. Now, read, because that's what the, they were ticked off. They were throwing things, breaking walls mad. They were really not happy about this. They, they were absolutely furious about this. But here's the remarkable thing to me, because, you know, you would think, okay, well, if, if they are that upset, it is probably because... They know that Nehemiah is coming down to do something to them. You know, when you get that mad, get that angry, then it's got to be because someone's going to try to do you harm or your family harm. And, but then you go on, and, and it's not that. What's what they're upset about is that there is someone that's coming to promote the welfare of the Israel. That someone would actually have the nerve to help those Jews out. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? It's, a, it's amazing. That's what they were upset about. Someone is helping the Jews, and, and we don't want anybody to ever help the Jews. God prophesies that with, as the way it would always be. It still is today. In fact, I read an interesting thing in Facebook this week. It says, the problem in Israel is that their enemies want to kill them, and the Jews don't want to be killed, and no one is willing to compromise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of like, okay, that's in a nutshell. It's always been that way, and, and uh, it is even to today. That's what I said. So much of this could be headline stuff for us. So Nehemiah goes down, and it's interesting. He's prayed four months. It takes about two months of preparation and traveling to get down to Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, from my vantage point, I would say, okay, you know, I'm going to hit the ground running. We've already lost time. I wish I could have been here six months ago, and, and so we really need to get a move on it. But when Nehemiah gets there, it says that, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying three days, the very first, he gets down there, and he stays, and he waits for three days. Hmm. Now, I 
can't tell you exactly why. I think there are indications, though, as we'll see in a moment. But uh, I think he was spending some time evaluating. And here's the interesting thing, because if, you know, when you're on a path, when you've got has sent you a direction, it is very important. Sometimes we make the assumption, you know, okay, this is the direction I'm supposed to go, so it's full-blown, full-force, fast as I can get there, I'm going to head that direction. But we need to stay sensitive to God because there will be these times where he will say, wait, stop. Evaluate the situation. Wait for my timing. And and we get in a hurry, especially when we think we know what we're supposed to do now, you know, especially if we've waited for a while. But Nehemiah gets there, and for, for, for whatever reason, he has a sense to wait. And, and I think, like I said, some of the indications. And this, it's amazing. This section we're looking at is so nuts and bolts, so practical. We're going we're gonna to see the wisdom that God has given this individual to, to go up against this situation that seemed impossible. And we're going to learn some things uh, yeah, you may, if you're a business person, if you're just life, trying to raise a family, some of these things will be very appropriate here. So he stayed three days, and, and then he says, uh, I set out during the night. Well, that tells us one thing. Uh, he's trying to not be seen. Obviously, and we've already talked about that, he's in, he's in enemy territory, but not only enemies from without, he's not even sure about the people that are supposedly his fellow Jews. Uh, he's trying to figure out who do I trust, who don't I trust. On top of that, figure out here he is, this, this guy, he's come down from Persia, and, and he steps in the middle of their situation. They've lived in this situation. You don't just kind of walk in and say, okay, I got, I got a plan, guys, follow me. You know, they don't know him. So all of this is part of what he's taking in then in that period of time. And so during the night, he says he sets out with a few men, evidently a few men that he had decided, I can trust these guys. And he said, we went out, and he said, I haven't told anybody yet what God had told, had put in my heart to do. And you also see that he was the only one that had a horse, which means probably the fact that shows you how desperate things had come become for the Jews. They didn't even have any very little livestock, and so they began to go out. And, and what we find out is they began to look, and here's a, here's a picture. Now, this actually shows the walls up. It'll give you an indication. So, so you get into, in fact, if you aren't there, uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, we're gonna, this is right where we left off. <coughs> we, might, we might need uh, at least one light on the inside if for people to be able to see this. But, so we start off where, where they're at. And, and uh, he's heading out during the night, and he starts to make a tour of the city. And, and as you start in verse 13, you'll see that the first place he heads is he heads towards the, uh, the valley gate. And, and he goes out that gate. I suspect that he was probably up in the northern area where the temple was because the temple had been rebuilt. So he, he headed down that, that open area there and went out through that valley gate, and they began to surmise, began these, him and the few men that were with him began to surmise what was going on. And so he started looking down at the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then verse 14, then I moved uh, toward the fountain gate, which is that, in that area there. And when he got to the fountain gate, he, he was going to go then, if you could see there, there is another gate, or, or actually the dug gate, and then there's the fountain gate. And he was going to, what he was going to do was try to go through that gate. But you can see everything kind of converges there, and the destruction was so Im immense in that area that if you look down there, it says that uh, he couldn't even get his horse through. It was in such terrible shape. 
So what he does is, if you're down in, the, in, the, in that southern area there, and I'm, I'm gathering that this map is north, south, east, west, he, he heads out that area, he goes over on the outside of the wall on the, uh, I guess it'd be the, the east side, and then he moves up in that area, and he goes back up to the valley gate as we look at this, at this scenario, and, and they go back, and now he's got an idea of the project that, that is ahead of them. And then you get down to verse 17 and 18, and it says, then, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and, and we will no longer be in disgrace. So first of all, he says the obvious. Okay, we've all seen it now. Not that they didn't know it, but you know what happens is you, you live in an environment, and, and uh, sometimes you forget how rough it is. And so, you know, they kind of, you know, you're in a dysfunctional home, and you don't realize you're in a dysfunctional home. Home. You're, you're in, you know, that parsonage that Jim talks about. Uh, we, we would, uh, if it would rain like we've had here, we would wake up in the morning and put our feet down off the bed and we'd be in a couple inches of water. That was the norm, you know. Uh, and so, uh, but you don't, you just kind of do what you got to do it. And so he says, goes over with them. Here's what we see. Here's what is around us. Let me just remind you of, of our situation. And, and on top of that, not only, it's not just about the walls, it's about the disgrace that it has become for us. We're we're God's people. And, and right now, everything about us says that uh, God doesn't take care of his people. And so it's time to do something about that. But then I, I like, then he does this, because I think this is so important. Uh, he t- talks about situations in verse 18. And then I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. So he told a story. He told about the word he got and about the way it broke his heart, how, how he called out to God and, and thinking that it was impossible that he would ever be allowed to do anything about their circumstances. But the king, God prepared the king's heart. God did what looked like it was an impossible feat to do. He told him what God had done. And, and when he gets done with sharing that information with them, they replied, the end of verse 18, let us start rebuilding. And so they began a good work. God prepared their heart. They were ready. And once they heard what God had done, and, and they said, let's start. Let's, let's get going. But you know what? As soon as you start doing something for God, just expect it. Doesn't make... You, we have an enemy. His name is Satan. And he... Anytime you try to accomplish for something for God, you, somewhere in the mix he's going to be. Yeah, now, I, I, I will share that once in a while with the elders, and, and I sh- I've shared it with all of us. You know, I, I actually get a little worried when things go too smoothly because then you start wondering, okay, maybe I'm not doing anything you know, that God wants because you, you, you always got to be watching for that enemy. Whether it's your personal life uh, or, or our life as a church or your family, just he's, he's going to do it. And, and sure enough, as soon as they, they get together, they realize what they need to do. When Samlat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, now we've got Geshem the Arab hear about this, they mocked and ridiculed us. First of all, they heard about it. You know, what's a, a, term, a term we hear an awful lot today? A leak. And that's what, I think that's part of what Nehemiah was worried about. He, that's why he started with just these individually trusted. But then when he shared it with the nobles, sure enough, with, within probably minutes, the enemy knew what was going on, what they were planning to do. There was someone in their midst that was leaking the information, and he was worried about that from the start. So they heard about it. The word's out. 
Not only that, they mocked and ridiculed us. You, you ever notice when, when someone can't argue their position? And, you know, we, we, we're humans. We have disagreements. There will be times that, you know, we, and there will be times we'll have to agree to disagree. It, you know, even within our faith, that, that happens sometimes. And, but you ever notice when, when you know, you, people that have our, it's a logical discussion and they're just trying to think this out through other, uh, together, they, they kind of talk it through and they share their vantage points and they talk. But it's interesting, when a person cho- chooses to move into the realm of character assassination, you know that they really don't have an argument. They just are out to get you. They just don't like you. They just don't want to. And, and, and unfortunately, so much of our dialogue nowadays to be, seems to be that, mocking and ridiculing. Not, not ag, our discussing the position, defending our, our thought process. Yeah, we jumped right past that and exactly what they did. And not only that, then you got the fake news. <laughs> Hear anything about that? They, they start just kind of testing the water, throwing out this, uh, are you rebelling against the king? Later on, they're going to excuse the king. And remember, we saw last week, that's been something that's worked in the past with this particular king, Artaxerxes. When they were rebuilding the temple, someone sent a, a fake newsletter to him, and he, he heard it and heard that they were, were going to rebel against him, and, and right away he put a stop to the work. And so this worked before. Let's try this again. They're floating it out there. Because it's what God wants you to do doesn't mean it's just going to be smooth. The enemy is not going to say, oh, okay, true north, you want to do this? Okay, I'm, I, I, I just, I've lost, I'm giving up. He, he never does that. He didn't in their situation. And this is happening because they're trying to follow the will of God. Chapter 3 is an interesting chapter. You know, I, I'm reading through the Bible right now chronologically and, and uh uh, so, and I've read through the Bible many times. I that's using my process, uh, and I always dread those when I get to Leviticus and Numbers. It's like, oh man, just you know, help me get through this. And and I'll pray before I start reading a section. I just finished that actually recently, and I'll pray before I start reading a section in that. And I'll say, okay, Lord, there's probably something here you want me to get. You're going to make it clear because all I see is numbers and names and. You know, and chapter 3 is that kind of a, a, of a chapter. If you look at Nehemiah, it's kind of like, okay. And exactly what Gene Getz says, it's easy to pass over this chapter in Nehemiah journal. Let, like a number of Old Testament accounts, it's filled with names that are difficult to pronounce, information that seems unusually redundant, and chronology that seems meaningless. And yet what's interesting in this chapter is re- you, we get in a remarkable picture what God has done in Nehemiah's heart is he's looked at this situation and he's talked with, with, his, with his fellow leaders and the people of Israel and, and God has said, here's how you, you know, how do you, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? He says, here's how you eat this elephant. And, and so there is. And in fact, the first thing you find out is, uh, you know, you ask yourself, okay, when you have a project like that, you always got to say, okay, where do we start? So, so you're looking at this, this the, the city of, of uh, Jerusalem and you're saying, all these gates and they're all torn down. The walls are all rubble on the ground. And so where do we start? Uh, so which gate do we start at? Well, what's really interesting, well, I won't take the time to read it, but if you look in this chapter, it says, verse 1 says that this guy named Eliashib and his fellow priests, they started rebuilding the, the sheep gate. And then you go a couple of verses down, and it says that the fish gate was rebuilt. What you find out is it wasn't an order. What he realized was we can't just do one gate at a time. We can't just, because 
if we work on this side, we got enemies on that side. We've got to get all the gates repaired at the same time. And, and at the same time, we, can't, we don't dare turn our backs on any part of the city because the enemies will come in. They had, I mean, legitimate enemies that, that, that want to kill them and certainly do not want this wall of protection rebuilt. And, and so Nehemiah in his wisdom says we have to do it all at once. We're going to have to spread out. Well, now you're thinking, okay, well, you're spreading yourself that thin. How do you, how do, you do that? Uh, well, he's got, God gave him a plan with that as well. And so that they start working on all sides. And, and then, you know, here's an interesting thing. If you're studying the Word of God, if you're in a section and uh, you start seeing a word repeated, I went too far too fast. So you start seeing a word repeated, which is exactly what happens in this. In verse 4, it talks about this guy, uh, Merimoth and Haggaz, and, and they're repairing this uh, section. And then it says, and then the next section was his individual, and then you go for, and then the next section was these individuals. And so, so what you, you get is, number one, you get a sense of the fact that Nehemiah has somehow encouraged these people and, and, and laid out a plan where they're all willing, they're working together as a team. And God does great things when people work together as a team. That's why we use analogy and conversation, and he uses uh, pictures like the body. So he gets them all on board and they start working. But then there's another thing that keeps showing up. It says that this guy named Jedaniah, he made repairs opposite his house. And, and then this guy, Eliashab, he worked near the entrance of his house. And, and you say, okay, well, what's going on there? Well, you know what? You, 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 a number of things. You get your family and you have these families and they live near these spots. And, the, and so get them working near their own homes. Why? Well, there's a number of good reasons. Number one, you're a lot more motivated when you're building a section that's going to protect your own family. And not only that, short commute, you know. Who lo- none of us like a long commute. When you can walk out your front door and go to work, that's going to save time and it's going to save energy. And, and, and then if, you're li- if they are protected, you know, if you're protecting, you know, if you if you're live here and you're over in that part of the city and you know the enemy attacks, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go to my family. I want to make sure they're protected. So he puts them right by their family so that if it happens, and, and not only that, you got in, a family working together with families. Just amazing the, 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 the plan of action that God gave him. And uh, then he had actually some folks that actually were not from Jerusalem. They lived in outside territories, and they came in because they heard. The, the motivation started, and everybody was excited, and so they came and said, we want to help. And, and so Nehemiah put them to work in areas that weren't populated and, and, and on, on those areas where there weren't homes nearby, and he got them on those. Was everybody happy and, and involved, all the Jews? No, verse 5 says there were some nobles that said, we don't do that kind of work. But here's what I, I, I think is remarkable about even that. Here's what Satan does. You know, as, as, a, as a believer you, 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 uh, or a church or a family, God, you feel God's direction and you start, and then there's this one person that's the naysayer, or, or maybe a couple. And, and Satan so often uses that because what we do is we focus there. That's the person we're worried about now. And, and so we stop the work because we've got to convince this person. And, and, and so it's funny. In Nehemiah's journal, he, he notes the fact that there's a few nobles, that, not all of them, but a few of them that said, we're not going to help. He didn't worry about it. He just moves on. He doesn't let him stop. He doesn't let it weigh on him. He doesn't worry about it. it. He just knows what he's supposed to do, and he keeps heading that direction. 
this is so, such a remarkable thing. Here's a remarkable thing. So we're, we're jumping ahead. We'll come back to this passage, but we'll jump ahead several chapters because what at one time seemed like an impossible task, impossible, where do we even start, was accomplished in less than two months. When God's people come together, to attack a project that they sense that God wants them to be a part of, the results are amazing. They're amazing. Now, again, don't expect everyone to like it. Anytime God is doing a big thing, Satan is going to do what he can. God's gets again, says God's work never goes forward without opposition. Satan sees with that. Just in case, let me repeat that. God's work never goes forward without opposition. Satan sees to that. Some of you haven't got it yet. God's work never goes forward without opposition. Satan sees to that. He may see to it, but he can't stop it. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Remarkable what God has done and and what he accomplishes. And and the enemies aren't done. They're going to keep criticizing and keep... In fact, eventually they're going to get more physical. It's going to come. We'll see in a few moments. It'll come to the point where, where he will tell us. We're not going to see it today. Some of you are going, I can't stand that. <laughs> but where they're working with hand, one hand and holding even a weapon with the other. It'll get that bad. But, but in spite of that, in 52 days, the job will be done. Because God's people looked at this huge, enormous task that they knew was bigger than them and then recognize that it wasn't bigger than him. So what's going on in your life? How big is it? Have you come to the realization that it's bigger than you? Good. Because once you realize that, you know that you got to bring God in on it, and man, that's the right move. It's always the right move. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you put us in the midst of situations that we know are bigger than we are. We need those because we get so sure that we can handle it. And the reality is there's really not much in life we can handle on our own. We think so. Our enemy fools us into believing it, and we're way, way too slow to talk to you about it. Thank you for allowing us to read Nehemiah's journal, to walk with him from, from that moment where he was faced with what seemed like a desperate situation, so big, so huge, that he didn't even know where to start. And then to get to watch what you did step by step. And I pray for my, my friends, my brothers, my sisters in this room because I know, I know some of them right now are in the midst of things that are so huge. These folks rebuilt an entire city wall in 52 days in impossible circumstances. There are some folks here that are in the midst of a similar situation and Lord, they need to see what you can do so they can celebrate. 
your love for them, your protection for them, and that greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world. Thanks for that reminder this morning, Father. Now as we move out into this world that desperately needs to see our God and how much he loves them, let us be the ones that shine that light and preserve their their lives in these areas with our salt. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Just going to have you close this morning. Thank you for being here. Make sure you take the time to meet. In fact, Jim and Pam, why don't you head on back there and uh, just uh, have a good week. God bless you.